0: we're going to start at Chipotle tonight. Uh, I had a meeting this week. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. It's all down here from Brooks. I'm sorry. I had a meeting just in the last few weeks, and uh, it was somebody who wanted to meet up and talk through uh, the way that we arrange and structure and live as Missio communities. And so, for me, that's an exciting topic. I like to talk about that, it's enjoyable. Uh, It's something I've given the last 15 years of my life to seeing disciples formed in the context of community for the sake of others, uh, seeing everyday disciples equipped to do the work of the church, not just uh, equipping a few very Uh, prestigious paid professionals to do the work of disciple making but really believe that Jesus has called his church to live as his body in his world and that means that every single believer has a role to play in that work. And so I love that, right? And we've arranged our lives in a certain way. We have our gatherings that are not the highlight. These aren't the Super Bowl of what we do. These are just kind of uh, supplementary to the life that you live day in and day out as a disciple in the context of community. Like that's stuff that I get really excited about. Uh, Many of you have sat with me somewhere like that and seen drawings that came out. So there there was definitely some arrows that came out. Uh, There was some circles one or two triangles, like it was fantastic. And they were just leaned in, this couple leaned in, uh, just enjoying it. They were only in town for a real short while. Their Chipotle napkins were filled up with ink and it looked like a glorious, I didn't take a photo, but I really should have because it would have looked perfect for the gram. Like it was, it was dialed in, it was nailed, and I felt like it was a really solid meeting. And, uh, and then I go to the bathroom uh, and... Go to the bathroom, that's what you do there. Wash my hands, look at the mirror that's above uh, the sink, and what is there lodged between my two front teeth? A piece of what? Cilantro, okay, so it's not just me. All right, so there is a piece of cilantro uh, lodged between my teeth, and not just like a little speck of cilantro, but like one of those times they forgot to chop it up, and it's just like the full-on clump lodged in there. And in an instant, uh, what had been so painfully obvious to these people who were hearing my wonderful uh, spiel just a minute before was apparent to me in a second. And I thought... I'm not sure I can be friends with these people. They aren't gonna tell me that there's cilantro stuck in my teeth. I don't even know if you love Jesus. Like you should really go ahead and say something to a brother, right? And so when I went out, they were gone and I didn't get to guilt them. Uh, but tonight's passage of Jonah is meant to be in one final act of our play that's taken four weeks to unfold. Uh, that moment where it's not funny like cilantro is stuck in his teeth, but his ethnocentrism, his complete missing the mark of what it means to be the people of God, a prophet who's wandered far from Jesus, uh, there's a moment where that mirror is just going to flip. And what we've had ideas about up to now is going to be just as glaring as that lovely green was in my teeth. And so we're gonna hold up the mirror of Jonah and see what Jesus has to show us, because believe it or not, we might have some stuff stuck in our grill as well. But would you guys pray with me, and then we'll jump into Jonah chapter four. Uh, Jesus, as we come together tonight as your kids, uh, we're so glad that you meet with us, uh, that we don't just gather together out of rote religion or just tradition, but because we really believe you meet here with us. And so as we come in, whether it's weary and wounded or excited, uh, whether it's expecting and anticipating a week to come, as we lean into Holy Week, uh, God, whether this has been the hardest year of our lives, we believe that this is space, that you meet with us in special ways. And so uh, would you do your gracious work of encouraging, convicting, Enlightening and leading us forward as your family. We ask this in your name, Jesus, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to read uh, from the NIV version. If you've got a different one, you'll get the general idea anyway. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Let me pause there. I'm not going to do this the whole way through. But uh, when you start off a chapter like that in the Bible, uh, but to Jonah this seemed very wrong and he got angry, Uh, what sort of things are you expecting just happened? Don't look back if you didn't look back. And if you know it, play the game with me. Uh, What sort of things would you expect to have been in the previous chapter or verses when a chapter starts off, a prophet of God is angry at what had taken place? Uh, the one who hears the word of God and speaks it to the people. The one who looks out at a community and says, this is in line with God's heart. This is not in line with God's heart. When, when that human starts off a chapter of the Bible saying it did not seem right to him what was taking place. And he got angry. What sort of things would you expect to have happened in the previous few verses? Or what things could you have expected? Would take place in the previous few verses. Go ahead and shout off just like two or three. What are kind of things? Injustice. Yeah. Like what? Shootings. Maybe stabbings. They didn't, or bow and arrow, they had shootings. Yep. That sort of stuff. Yeah. Cheating people out of their money. Absolutely. What else? Think back to the prophets, what you know about the Old Testament. What sort of things did they go off on? Like Isaiah, Jeremiah. All the idol worship, absolutely. Yeah, bringing jacked up sacrifices. Like, that matters. God demands a certain thing. Uh, Anything else just burning that you want to say? Widows and orphans not being cared for. uh, The mockery being made of the Sabbath. Uh, people turning and trading in, doing justice and caring for the sojourner that was among them to oppressing them and enslaving them. These are the sort of things through the Old Testament that we read and the prophets say, God hates this. Turn back. The irony is when we read in Jonah, right, what had just taken place. For those of you that do uh, read the chapter before, the one we read, uh, what had just taken place in Nineveh? Revival right? A whole nation had turned from their wickedness, their evil, their oppression, their injustice, their idol worship, and said, we are turning from that and turning to God. And God, instead of condemning and destroying this people group, had mercy and relented, and an entire nation or city was saved. And our boy Jonah... Starts off verse 1. He sees that. He says, that ain't right. And he gets angry. Let's keep reading. Maybe it'll get better. And then he prayed to the Lord. And this is going to sound a little bit different than his prayer from the belly of the great big fish. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew who you were. I knew who you were, you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah and give shave for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind. How's nice of him? God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint and he wanted to die. He said, It would have been better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 220,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? This is one of those uh, chapters in the Bible, one of those books in the Bible, that lands with a haunting question and no resolution for us. Uh, I'm gonna give us a second, as we often do, to turn to a few people around you. Uh, I started this off talking about how this was meant to lift a mirror up to the people of God to say, uh, even more so than having something stuck in their teeth, you are missing out on some of what it means to be called the people of God. And this story was meant to reflect for them that when they read these four chapters, when they heard them told, it would evoke something out of them where they're like, oh, like that's us. Or to at least ask the question, is this us? Would you turn to a few people around you and just answer, what do you think the author of this book is trying to highlight for the people of God? Like what is it that he might be trying to show them that they might be missing? Uh, you don't have to get it perfect. Uh, you you be like, I don't interpret the Bible. That's a whole lot of, like, just take a deep breath. And the story we just read, what do you think that story might be illustrating for people who would read it? If it was meant to make them ask a question, huh, is that us? All right, let me pull us back. Thank you for mining the depths of uh, the book of Jonah. Uh, part of the fun of getting to do that uh, is that there is a, made up statistic of about 95% uh, more that you'll remember from that dialogue you just had than the one that we're having front to back. Uh, I made up the 95%, but here's the actual truth. Uh, You will remember far more of the dialogues that you have with one another as you explore and discover yourselves than necessarily what fills the 20 minutes that I talk. Now, I still think the two work together in a harmony and so we do both, Uh, but the hope really is that we become disciples who are able to look at the word of God and hear what God might be saying to us or was saying to them and work that through for us so that we can do that for others when we're not gathered in this space. So uh, that's why we do what we just did and hopefully there were some things that sparked for you uh, historians have written a lot about, hey, what was the point of Jonah? Uh, some people really wanna talk about, was there a real man with a real whale? And is that really the point of the story? And I am not even gonna go down there because that part doesn't matter to this. Uh, the, the story that he's trying to tell is that Israel had failed to remember that their vocation, their role in God's story, the purpose that they were a people was so that all the world would be blessed. They were meant to be the conduit through which God's blessing went to the world, that God had blessed them, Genesis 12, so that they would be a blessing to others. And our boy Jonah is a massive billboard blinking in bright colors saying, they've missed that. Because Jonah was happy catch this. uh, Jonah was happy with a merciful God, a compassionate God, a long-suffering God, a rescuing God, a redeeming God, a God who gives second chances when people fail. As long as their names were Jonah, as long as they were in the story of Israel. Israel could fail and could do horrible at their calling all they wanted to, and they wanted God's blessing. We see that mirrored in the fact that Jonah gets a call from God and runs the other direction. Absolute rebellion. Kindergarteners know that's not how you show respect and love and honor to someone, right? Run the other way. They're not listening. And then he goes and he gives this message, right, and every... the whole nation experiences what he experienced when he was in the belly of the great big fish right he called out to God and God rescues him and then he's delivered to dry land he's set free to go live free again and the same thing for the people of Nineveh right they turn to God from their evil from their injustice from the way that they lived and Jonah looks at that and goes no that ain't right I'm all for mercy, I'm all for grace, I'm all for forgiveness, I'm all for redemption, I'm all for healing, but not for those people. They've done too much. Some of the things I see in Jonah, so it was pointing out the big word ethnocentrism where Israel was the center of God's story and all the other people deserved to be judged harsher than they did. Uh, He'd forgotten that the point of them being a people was so that others would be blessed and experience God's favor because they were God's people. Um, Some symptoms of that in the story, when we look at it, uh, first one, grace became selective. And that's what we just talked about. Uh, Grace was extended to those who might look like or deemed worthy by Jonah, namely himself in the story. But those other people who have those other sins, who experience that other rebellion, who live a different way, who might look different and have different cultural norms, they're outside, And they should be punished. They're they're different than us and their sin is different than us. Therefore, they should be punished worse than us. God's mercy should not go to that corner of creation. And Jonah found personal affront to being sent there. And that's what he says. This is what I I told you this was going to happen. In the story, it didn't tell us. You didn't miss that in the story. Never in the first three chapters does it say why Jonah didn't go. We get clued in here. But he says, God, I had a conversation with you and I told you that's why I didn't go. I knew you were merciful. I knew you were compassionate and I didn't want them to experience that. Missio, this this one does not look good and this is much worse than a piece of food stuck between teeth. But in America, there is a brand of Christianity that you could copy and paste this very thing in there. And what I would hate for is if we're in this room and we're like, thank God, that's not me let's just hold the mirror up for a second and think, are there people that we would rather see hurting than healed? Like, are there certain people in certain patterns of sin, or we're going to get personal, that have wronged us? That if we're honest, if they came and they showed up, And they experienced saving grace of Jesus and they were weeping and came to the table that you might be sitting in your seat and be like, no, see, I knew God would do that. He'd release them from all the pain of their hurt that they caused me. And that root of unforgiveness that was national for Jonah might have some roots in our own lives. I think if we're honest, there might be pockets of people or certain individuals that we would rather see face destruction than redemption. And we're not gonna turn to our neighbors for this one. But I would encourage you to ask that question, and it'll be up on the screen just a little bit. Are there people that we'd rather see hurting than healed? Or that we'd love to see pay for their sin in a way that we're about to celebrate come Good Friday, that we're released from ours? It's a question to ask, and I think God's gracious to give us that mirror because those roots of that bitterness will destroy our hearts. And we see what they did to this dude, Jonah, saying you don't have to go that pathway. God's mercy that he extends to us extends to others. And sometimes he even wants to use us in that healing process. Uh, The second thing for our Jonah in this story is that emotions go unchecked, and I don't know what the professional term for somebody that works with emotions is. That's not me, so I'm talking to you as a human. Uh, And so, but this idea that emotions go unchecked, I'm going to say it's beautiful. I think it's six times in this text uh, God uses the word anger, 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 angers. Uses this is getting written down, and God's actually asking, and and I love it. He asked Jonah the question: Is it right for you to be angry? Is it good for you to be angry? Does it lead to flourishing for you to be angry? And here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't answer the question. There's no yes, there's no no. Emotions are not a barrier to experiencing God's grace. They are very often a guideline that leads us to what our greatest need is. Uh, When you throw an anchor overboard, if you're on a boat, you don't just throw the anchor overboard. What is on the other end of the anchor? You have a rope that then attaches to the boat so that the boat doesn't go anywhere. Uh, Some of my friends are free divers. And so what they'll do is they'll go down and they'll dive uh, holding their breath for obscene amounts of time. Like not 30 seconds, 45 seconds, but like five minutes. ridiculous amounts of time that they'll go down with a or just a dive to prove that they can, right? And they go down, and as they go down, the, darker you, the deeper you get in the ocean, the darker it is. Uh, the less likely you can get disoriented, the more likely you are to get disoriented. And so what you do very often is go down next to a rope, not that you're going down and pulling yourself down, but as you go down so that you can find your way back up to where you wanted to be at the top. And for the sake of this illustration, as we go down and we experience things in life— They often feel a certain way and it is very easy to get disoriented. In loneliness, that's not a wrong thing. In anger, Jesus was angry and he didn't sin. God is angry and he doesn't sin. Anger just means that you notice or you feel something is happening that is wrong. And that is the right response when we see something happening that is wrong. When we read on the news or we watch a clip and we say, man, that is not the way it's meant to be anger is a right response not rage not going crazy but anger that reflects god and so there's a there's a myriad of emotions you can go on amazon and buy yourself an emotion wheel that has about four thousand emotions on it and somebody could say how are you feel and you could point right at it it's like seven dollars uh and it covers up one of the pillows that you already have get yourself one it'll be great it's not coming up in the marriage cohort but it's not a bad idea How do you feel? Point at the wheel. Um, The point of that, what am I saying? I'm saying that oftentimes these emotions will direct us back to a root. And sometimes the cause of that is something that's actually unjust. And sometimes the cause of that is us and our wrong perception or wrong wrong understanding. I'm going to read a lengthy quote uh, by a guy named Eugene Peterson who wrote a book called Under the Withered Plant where he's talking about people's dialogue with God in this space. Uh, where we have concerns or questions or are frustrated with God or angry with God. I love, again, God doesn't just like smack Jonah in the face for asking these questions, but he asks them questions back to get at them. So let me read this longer quote. I'm gonna read more words than are on there because there's only so much you can really read on that screen. Eugene says, quarreling with God is a time-honored biblical practice. Moses, Job, David, and St. Peter were all masters at it. We get a lot of practice in this because God doesn't behave the way that we expect. Jonah is quarreling because he has been surprised by grace. He is so taken aback that he is disagreeable about it. His idea of what God is supposed to do and what God in fact does differ radically. Jonah sulks and he is angry. The word anger appears six times in the final chapter. Catch this. Anger is most useful as a diagnostic tool. When anger erupts in us, it is a signal that something is wrong and isn't working right. Anger is our sixth sense for sniffing out wrong in the neighborhood. Diagnostically speaking, it is virtually infallible when we learn to trust it. Anger is infused by a moral spiritual intensity that carries conviction. When we are angry, we know we are onto something that matters or that really counts. You can put in parentheses to us or to God. That's what we're going to get at. When anger, what anger fails to do, though, is tell us whether the wrong is outside or inside of us. We usually begin by assuming that the wrong is outside of us. Anybody start there? When we get angry, it's always somebody else's fault, right? Right? When we get angry and somebody cuts us off driving, it's their fault. They're the idiot, not us who just left 10 minutes late and are now rushing to get where we need to get. It's clearly the other driver. We usually begin by assuming that the wrong is outside of us. Our spouse or our children or our God has done something wrong and we are angry about it. But when we track the anger carefully, we often find that it leads to a wrong within us. Maybe it's wrong information, inadequate understanding, an underdeveloped heart. If we admit and face that, we are pulled out of our quarrel with God and into something far larger and better, what Christ would call the kingdom. What he's saying is that Jonah had a moment where he was angry about something, and what that moment was was a chance to explore what am I actually angry about? Where is that inside of me? Uh, the reason that the answer, question I don't think is answered in the book of Jonah is because as this got dispersed throughout Israel, they were left to come with their own conclusion. Is it right for you to be worried about things that are messing now with your comfort more than you care about the rest of creation. And that's the last. that was the final thing on that list. Concern about things that matters drops. A concern about things that actually matter drops for Jonah. And that couldn't be more glaring when, than when he gets asked, do you really care more about this plant that came up and gave you some shade than you do about 240,000 years? humans who don't know their left hand from their right. And again, uh, commentators want to argue, does that mean people that didn't know morality? Does that mean people that were just little kids? Does that mean people that were really, really slow intellectually, and that's why they were the way they are? And some of these things, you're just like, 240,000 people or a plant is the point. Like, which matters more to us? And for Jonah, it was the comfort inconvenience of having some shade over his head not getting a sunburn versus being able to be a part of God's plan of redemption for an entire city and again it's easy to shine that spotlight on Jonah and be like man that guy's how does he not get that I think for us that mirror might shine a little bit brighter than who are the people we want to stay hurting and not healing though that might be true and we need to ask that but the question of does comfort and convenience control me more than compassion for the lost? That's an American question that we have to wrestle with. And the, Just so you know, the litmus to figure some of that stuff out is right there. It's on your phone, you can check your time usage, you can check your bank accounts, you can check your entertainment history and you can check how much time you're off that and spending it doing other things super helpful. Um, I remember an old quote that said, we'll never be able to say one of the reasons that we didn't spend time with Jesus or with other people is because there wasn't enough time now that our phones track everything we do. Time wasn't the issue. How we spend our time absolutely is. For most of us, money isn't the issue. How we spend our money and act like it's all ours absolutely is. Again, everything we've been given was so that so that we could be a blessing. All the money we have is meant to be so that we can be a blessing to others. The time, the talents, the treasures that we have, the relationships that we steward, the families we've been given, the friendships that we invest in, all meant to be so that. But it's sneaky and it's easy to get stuck into, yeah, so that I can be comfortable, not so that I can be a blessing. I think it's part of the beauty of what we see come up when we look at Jonah. But as we've been doing in this series, we go from Jonah and getting that mirror to Jesus. And this is a really technically worded sentence. Uh, sometimes we all, we all get twisted sometimes. But Jesus never does. When we look through the story of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, at any turn when Jesus could have chosen comfort or convenience over the kingdom, he absolutely does not do it. Uh, Any point when he could have succumbed to find an easier path, a more convenient path, a more comfortable path, a path that didn't lead to cost him so much, at every turn he does not do it. Even having the sake of he carries these 12 disciples along beside him, do you know how much more ministry the dude probably could have gotten done if he didn't carry those 12 knuckleheads around with him? Like, do you know how many more healings he could have done if he didn't have to turn around and explain, hey guys, quit having your mom ask me questions. Like, hey, guys, uh, here's what we're going to do. Did you guys bring the bread? Ah, oh, no, we forgot it. What are we going to do now? Oh, come on, guys. Like, all along the way. But his point was he was investing in them so they could go out to the nations, right? Uh, when the enemy comes at him, he could have just said, whatever. Satan, I'm going to smoke you at the end anyway. It doesn't really matter. Like, I'll take the easy path. Just let me do this now, and we'll be able to go. That temptation that started it off, nothing. And Gethsemane, when he's in the garden, and he's like, Father, uh, this is not the way that I want it to go, right? If there's any other way, would you take this cup from me? If there's any other pathway other than this one, would you take it from me? But at the end, not my will, but your will be done. And then up comes clanking the soldiers with Judas giving him a kiss to then be led off to the cross. At every step of the way, when he could have chosen comfort or convenience, when he could have said, I just want to give grace to the people that love me. I don't want to announce grace to those that are far off and those that are messy and those that have done great harm in the world. Do you know how hard it's going to be to have a community full of people that are so diverse? And yet that's what he leans into, grace for anyone who will turn. Uh, Tim Keller in a sermon that I'll email out uh, tomorrow uh, makes a brilliant argument how Jesus is the true and greater Jonah. Um, And I'm not just going to rip his content, but that needs to be said, and you can listen to that later on. Uh, With Jesus, we see the flip of those same three things that we saw that Jonah and Israel missed, that grace is for anyone who would receive it. When Jesus came announcing good news, the kingdom of God is here, he allowed the Romans to hear it, he allowed the Samaritans to hear it, he allowed the Jewish religious elite to hear it, and he allowed those who were far from God on the margins of society to be welcomed to the table. Grace was undeniably and explicitly for everyone who would receive it. Uh, We see Jesus feeling things all through the gospels. And in that, his emotions drive him back to the Father who fulfills what he's actually longing for. Uh, That's a much longer sermon. Uh, That's a different topic, but, but don't miss this. When you read through your Gospels, see how many feeling words there are. Jesus wasn't avoiding that. His disciples who were writing it down noticed everything from he was hungry, to he was tired, to he needed a break, to he was angry, to he was lonely, So he was weeping, and in all of that, you watch that act as a guideline, that mooring line straight back up to the comfort of the ship that was the Father's love and his ability, no matter how dark it got, to find his way back to the one that would fulfill the Father all through his life. And then we see that he had absolute mission clarity through every trial he faced Uh, Whether it was a demon-possessed person running at him, whether it was the frustration of his followers, or whether it was the looming cross and the suffering and death, not my will, but your will be done, not comfort, not convenience, but the kingdom and life that I've coming to give are not possible if I compromise. And I think that's the beauty of what we're called in together as a church, to follow in the way of Jesus, being filled by Jesus, renewed by Jesus, realigned by Jesus, and then sent back into the places where we live, where we work, where we play, willing to ask the hard questions, uh, willing to ask the questions of, are there people I would rather see hurting than healed? And they're not going, nope, nope, that's not me, cool, we're good. Sit with it for a little while. Linger with it. Are there people where we're still harboring resentment, where we would honestly rather see them get the destruction than the redemption? That sort of stuff in our hearts will erode. It will corrupt. It will lead to our suffering instead of flourishing. And Jesus' followers were invited into a way of life where it was, pray for those who persecute you. Forgive your enemies. And that's not easy but with Jesus, it is absolutely possible. Do we believe and do we see that we are growing in emotional health ourselves? Uh, Pete Cazero says that emotional health and spiritual health are absolutely, inextricably connected. You will not be growing as a healthy disciple if you are not growing healthy emotionally. If you're not working through your stuff, your wounds, your hurt, your baggage, at every step of the journey then you won't actually be growing. Now, you might learn a bunch of stuff. You might be able to quote the Bible. You might be able to know what facts come after what or how many books there are and where that verse in that chapter is or even be able to draw the six symbols, three circles, lots of triangles. You might be able to do all that, but that doesn't mean you're growing as an obedient disciple. Emotional maturity will always grow with spiritual maturity. And then lastly, are we experiencing a deep concern for the loss in our city. And we're actually scattered out a few cities. But does the thought of people not yet experiencing the life and the freedom and the healing of Jesus motivate us at all? Do we, would we even say we have a concern for that? Other translations say, should I not love that great city? Uh, the question that we have to ask is, are our hearts still moved at all by that? Are our budgets still moved at all by that? Are our calendars at all moved by that? Are our family rhythms or our household patterns shaped at all by that? And, and there's two reasons, and I'm gonna land here, two reasons for that. One, I, we want to see people who don't know Jesus healed and made whole and freed and forgiven and redeemed and rescued and all that, absolutely. Here's another thing to think about. When Nineveh repented, how many other people were blessed because of that? So all the people that used to be oppressed, all the people that used to be murdered, all the people that used to be enslaved, now it took a while to undo that, that's why they tell the story Stort him. but all that release that would have taken place and that oppression, we talked about the gruesome nature in which they lived. That when they turned to God, that's now re- released. That's no longer being acted out. And so there's this perpetual effect that I have a concern that yes, individuals come and experience life, but also that communities are able to reap the benefits of communities who believe and are Jesus people. Both of those, would we say we're concerned about that? Or is that something that there's a mirror saying, like, hey, there's a block. I actually don't even think about that. Day to day, week to week, like that's not even on my radar. As the people of God, it absolutely should be. And today's another invitation to follow afresh with Jesus to say, I want you to make my heart burn with the things that burn yours. When Jesus looked out over Jerusalem, he wept because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Would we follow Jesus and not Jonah as we live in the world this week? Would you guys pray with me? Jesus, none of us are immune from wandering away from what you want from us in this world. Uh, None of us have it all together. None of us are without fault and without blame. And God, I pray for this room, even as the end of this lands on uh, tonight being Palm Sunday, a day when the Israelites uh, cried out they wanted salvation, but they wanted it their way. They didn't want it your way. Would we not fall into that same pattern of crying out to god of longing to see you move but only if you'll do it in the ways that we want uh, jesus would you stir in us a deep forgiveness and compassion even for those who are offenders knowing that at some point in our life we're all in that same space and jesus would you help us to grow as women and men and children who are emotionally healthy, able to understand what it means to be human in your world, but also absolutely relying on you as the source of life and flourishing. And then Jesus, would you stir up in our friends that are gathered in this room an increasing concern for those who don't yet know you. Uh, not something that we're motivated to by guilt or shame or fear of not doing enough, but an overwhelming response to the love and the freedom and the forgiveness that we've received pours out towards others. Jesus, help us to have a concern because you have a concern. Help us to walk in love because you are love. And we ask this in your name and by the power of your Holy Spirit, amen.